Thank you, Callie. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. The greatest symbol of Christianity is the cross. And as we talked about last week, the greatest proof of Christianity is the empty grave. The basic message of Christianity, the basic message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and then rose again. This is what we call the gospel. Over the last few weeks, we have looked at how the gospel saves us and makes us right with God. And this morning, I want to continue the series in the gospel, but I want to take it a little bit different way. Because I think a lot of times we think about the gospel and we think, yeah, the gospel. I mean, that's, that's that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again. But, but as I've been saying all through this whole series, the gospel impacts every aspect of life. The gospel doesn't just impact your salvation. It should impact every area of your life. And so this morning we're going to begin a series that looks at how it affects those other parts of our life. And today, specifically, we're going to start and look how the gospel affects our horizontal relationships. How does it affect the way that we interact with other people? And specifically, we're going to look at the area of forgiveness. And I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this for a moment. Is there anyone in your life right now that you're having a hard time forgiving? Now, maybe it's for a big thing. Maybe that's someone that really, really hurts you, and they did something horrible to you, and and you just can't forgive them. Or maybe it's something petty. A lot of times that's what it is. And they hurt you. They said something mean about you. I want you to think about that person. And I want you, maybe it's a number of people, and I want you to think about them as we begin doing, going through this study. Let me paint a picture for you this morning as we begin, and I want to ask you to put yourself in this situation I'm going to talk about. One night, a young family decided that they were going to go out and they were going to get some ice cream as a family. So they hopped in their car, it was, a, it was the dad, it was the mom, and then in the back seat there was three kids, they had another son, but he was off with some friends, and so the, the uh, five of them hop in the car and they get ready to go, and they're driving down a, a city road, speed limit's 35, and they're about to turn onto the highway to go one exit to the place where they were going to get ice cream, and, and as they're about to turn on the highway, here comes a car completely out of control. The guy's swerving all over the place. They found out later that he was a 17-year-old boy and he was drunk. And he's out of control and he T-bones the car. The husband who's driving, he, he gets knocked out just for a little bit and he comes to and he turns to his wife who's in the passenger seat just in time to see her breathe her last breath. He turns to the back seat and he looks and he sees his, his 11-year-old son and it's obvious he's dead. He turns and he looks and he sees his 8-year-old daughter and he can't tell. He finds out later she also was dead. His 6-year-old's in the back and he's, he's alive. He can tell he's alive, but he's in tremendous amount of pain. And the 17-year-old drunk driver walks away without an injury. How would you be feeling in that moment? I'm sure pain, physical and emotional. I'm sure there would be some sorrow as you look and you see your family has now been destroyed. Maybe anger, rage. How about forgiveness? That seems impossible, doesn't it? 
How could you possibly forgive someone in that moment? Today I want to look at a scripture that addresses this concept of forgiveness. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, uh, we see this idea of forgiveness. And really, for Christianity, this, church, this, this verse is pure gold. I mean, it is, it is one of the first verses we teach our smallest children in Sunday school, and yet it challenges the maturity of the most experienced saint here today. Let's look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. God, I pray that you will help us. Lord, in this challenging concept of forgiveness. God, you know this, but we have to be honest. We fail all the time. We struggle to forgive people because sometimes people hurt us, God. Yet, Lord, I pray that you help us as we look at this, at this verse, that we will see that is, this is an essential of, of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you help us to be honest with ourselves, honest with you. Lord, that we will evaluate properly what it is that you want us to do as a response to the gospel that we see in this passage. Lord, I just pray you help us to be real be true. Lord, thank you for this uh, verse. Lord, I pray you'll help me to be guided by your spirit. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to look at the topic of true forgiveness and three aspects. First of all, we want to look at the basis for forgiveness. Notice at the end of verse 32, it says, as God in Christ forgave you. And so the basis for, for this command, everything this command commands us to do is built on the foundation of what we've talked about the last few weeks. And that is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins so that we might be forgiven. Because Jesus Christ came to earth to die so that when God looks at you and me, he does not see our sins. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ, he forgives you. Forgiveness which God gives is the, is the foundation of our ability to forgive others. God in Christ forgave you. Let's think about this, what that means for a few moments. When Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins, He indeed paid for all. And let's look at a few verses. First of all, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, it says there in that passage, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Pastor Nate talked about this, I think it was three weeks ago, that, that term propitiation means that He is our substitute. That, that although what we deserve because of our sin is punishment, eternal punishment, Jesus Christ came and He took our place. He became our substitute. And notice what it says in that passage, but not only just for yours, but for the sins of the whole world. That God forgave and God uh, allowed Jesus Christ's sacrifice to do that. But there's, there's more to it than that. There's no one in this world for whose sins God did not, Jesus Christ did not die. But he also died for every sin. Notice what it says in 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is not a one that he, he leaves you know, on our account. That God, because of what Jesus Christ does, forgives us. And, and Jesus uh, knew that. And when he was on the cross, and we talked about this last week, when he was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. That's an interesting phrase. It's a Greek phrase, and, and it gives the idea of a debt paid in full. 
It is, it is done. All of your sins were atoned for by the death of Jesus Christ. Every single one. And this has huge implications for us. And this is what we've been talking about for weeks now about the gospel. That it has big implications. That means that the Lord forgives your sins. Every single one of them. But how does he do that? We look at scripture and we see the topic of forgiveness. And specifically how God forgives us. And I want to show you, uh, I think, four ways God forgives us. First of all, he forgives us graciously. What does that mean? That means you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Notice what it says in Romans, and you've heard this verse before, but God showed His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's, I love that word, still. Because it's not that we have to become perfect or that, that we have to earn anything for God or that it's because of anything we did. It's, it's you are a sinner and yet God still sent Christ to die for you and God still is willing to forgive you no matter what. He forgives us because He is gracious, which means that He treats us better than we deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve hell. But because of what Jesus Christ did, He doesn't give us hell. He gives us forgiveness. But secondly, not only does He forgive us graciously, but He forgives us freely. In other words, we do not have to earn our forgiveness by doing some great deed. I never forget being in a, and I've mentioned this before, but being in a church, a, a Catholic church in Montreal, and, and it was up on the top of this huge hill and, and watching people crawl up these stairs to get to this, this church on the top. And, and the, the missionary told us they do this because they're trying to atone for their sins. And, and many of them, by the time they get to the top, their knees would be bloodied. Because somehow they thought, uh, if I just do this, that God is going to forgive me of my sins. But here's the thing, God forgives us freely. Freely. But our forgiveness comes freely to us, but it comes at a huge cost. It's not cheap. It comes at the cost of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So it's free to us. We don't have to pay anything for it. Notice what it says in in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. It's free. My daughter will have her birthday on Tuesday, and, and uh, she does not have to earn her birthday gifts. Okay, she doesn't have, okay, you got to go and, once you go vacuum, then we'll give you your gift. That's not how it works. It's a free gift. And, and God tells us that when He forgives us, it is not on our merits, it is not on our doing, it is free. But thirdly, he forgives us, and this one's, this one's great, he forgives us deeply. No matter what our sin is, he forgives us. It doesn't matter what sin you have committed. It doesn't matter how bad the sin is that you committed. God will forgive you. The Bible tells us, I was thinking about this just this morning, you think about some of the greatest men that we think about in the Bible and how, uh, how much God forgave them. I think of David, and David, the Bible tells us, was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was a liar, and yet God forgave him. We think about someone like Moses. Moses was a, a murderer, and yet God forgave him. We think about Apostle Paul. He was a blasphemer, yet God forgave him. Peter denied even knowing Jesus, and yet he, and he even cursed 
Jesus, and yet God forgave him. And we look over and over and over again in Scripture, and we see over and over again, God forgives us. Doesn't matter how bad it is, doesn't matter how deep your sin is, doesn't matter how disgusting your sin is. Notice what it says in this passage in First Corinthians chapter six. It says, Do not be deceived, and then it lists a bunch of what we might call as as bad stuff. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor uh, thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the robbers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We read that and we go. Oh, man. So obviously the worst of sinners won't be there, and so God doesn't forgive them. But notice what he says next. But such were some of you, but you were washed. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying this. And and, and the statement Paul made is the same statement that I can make about every single person in this room. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he says, such were some of you. In other words, what Paul is saying is, is you can think of the, the worst of, of sins. You can think of what you think is the most heinous thing that anyone could ever do. And God looks down and says, I, will, I am willing to wash you with the blood of Jesus Christ, and therefore I'm willing to forgive you if you'll just turn to me. I mean, isn't that the amazing thing about God's forgiveness? It doesn't matter how, how deep we go. He indicates that all of those sins can be forgiven. All. Every one of them. Again, we look at 1 John 1, 9, it says that He will forgive us of all unrighteousness. There is no sin that you have committed that God will not forgive if you bring it to Him. And we can take comfort in that. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He forgives us deeply. That is, no matter what sin it is, God will forgive you. And we can thank God for that. Fourthly, He forgives us repeatedly. Again, we look back at the passage I've, read, uh, I've quoted a couple times, 1 John 1, nine. he says what? If we confess our sins, what? He is faithful and just, faithful and righteous to forgive our sins. That word faithful gives us the idea of every single time. Think about it this way. When Jesus was on earth, uh, remember the story, and we're going to read part of this later, but remember the story where Peter's talking to Jesus and says, how much should we forgive our brother? And what, is, what was Jesus' response? He says, you should forgive them seven times 70. Now, he was not saying that you have to forgive your brother 490 times. He was using his example as continually. Yeah, you don't have to have a chart at home. Oh man, I just forgive them 489, one more, and they're done. It's the idea of it, it, it doesn't stop. You know, someone does something and you continue to forgive. And if Jesus commands us that we are to do that, and He is asking us to do this, then He's not going to ask us to do something that He Himself will not do. And aren't we glad of that? How many of you have to make use of His repeated forgiving grace for the same sins over and over again? I don't know about you, but I do. I mean, just to get a glimpse into my conversations with God sometimes, sometimes I'll be thinking and I'll do something and I'll say, God, I did it again. And sometimes I'll tell God I'm an idiot and He clearly knows that. I didn't want to do this, but I did this again. It's like what Paul said. He said, the things I don't want to do are the things I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. And, and yet, when I come to God and say, God, I did it again. I messed up again. I was, I was this and that, and I, did, I disobeyed you. I was arrogant, and I was proud, and God says, I still forgive you. 
know, how many times do you have to come back to God and, and pray again for God to forgive you for those same words you said again? How many times do you have to come back to God in prayer and ask for forgiveness for that same anger? How many times do you have to come back to God and ask for forgiveness for that same wrong thought or for that same action that you did or, or whatever your besetting sin is? How many times do you have to come back and what God said is, there is no limit to my forgiveness? Do you remember... Um, you know, back when cell phones first came, started to become popular, and you'd have to. Now, some of, some people still do this today, but you had to buy uh, a cell phone plan where you had so many minutes. Remember that? And I remember talking to someone on the phone one time, and we were having a conversation, and they said, "Oh, I need to get off the phone. I don't want to take up all your minutes." Remember those? Well, today my cell phone plan is is unlimited. I'm not a talker on the phone personally, so it wouldn't matter anyway. But it's unlimited. You can't use up my minutes. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God, and even in a greater way, there is no limit to his forgiveness. No, how many, no matter how much time we come back and say, God, will you forgive me? Or even don't come back and ask God to forgive us, he does. He does. God is faithful. He has infinite grace, and he forgives us repeatedly. As often as we might come, we find forgiveness. Isn't that an amazing thought? In all of these aspects, all of these four aspects about forgiveness uh, are, are marvelous. And I hope that you're, if you're here today, that you have experienced these personally. I know I have. I've seen them over and over again in my life, and I am so thankful for them. But maybe there's someone here today that has not, you've not experienced this type of forgiveness. And, and the Bible tells us if you confess your sin, you admit that you have rebelled against God and you have broken his law and you believe in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, you know what? You can find that same kind of forgiveness. And I hope you'll do that. Because it is so liberating to know that you are forgiven by God. But if you would say that you've already that you already know that you're forgiven by the Lord, then this verse that we're looking at here today indicates that you have a great responsibility to fulfill. Because all of that that we just talked about comes from the idea that as God in Christ forgave you. So since God in Christ forgave you, then what is our responsibility? And that's the second thing, our responsibility for forgiveness. Notice what it says our responsibility is. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here God teaches is very clearly that if we consider our sins to be forgiven by God, then we are equally responsible to forgive others. That's huge. It says that you are to be forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. So here's my question for, before we go on. Are you here today, and you don't need to raise your hand, but are you here today? Are you a believer? Are you, have you been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you been changed? Are you born again? Are you forgiven? Are you going to heaven? Then you are to forgive whatever complaint, whatever hurt that anyone has done to you. That's huge. But here is where we usually kind of buckle under a little bit. We usually make a big effort to get off the hook, don't we? We believe somehow when this statement is made that because Jesus Christ forgave you of everything, 
that you have to do the same. Yet suddenly we hear that and suddenly go, uh, yeah, but I'm the exception to the rule. Now, we don't say that, but that's how we think. Because Satan often wants us to think that way. And he gets us to think things like this. Yeah, that verse is great in general. But you don't understand my particular case. You don't understand how bad I was hurt. And Satan always wants us to think that way. That somehow we're different. And in some way, we don't have to forgive because of something is different about our scenario. For some, he tempts us to think that the promise of forgiveness applies to everyone else but them. In other words, that they aren't even forgiven. You, you don't know my sin. God won't forgive me. Well, we looked at God says he will forgive all our sins. You are not a special case. You have not sinned worse. God will forgive you. But for others, the temptation is not to think that we're a special case and that we can't be forgiven, but that we're a special case and that we are not able to forgive. We are tempted to say things like, oh, you just don't understand what has been done to me. I couldn't possibly forgive them. They have hurt me too badly. Again, we think that we're special, that we're a special case, and everyone else has to forgive. But in our case, well, it's just not possible. Earlier I asked you to put yourself in a situation, a situation of a, of a family who was hit by a drunk driver. Um, I, I just recently read about the story of, of a man who was in such a situation. His name is Chris Williams, and on February 9th, 2007, a 17-year-old boy hit their car, and immediately his wife and two of his kids died. I heard an interview with Chris recently, and he was... Uh, He was saying that here he was, he was laying in the car, and at that moment he did not know it was a drunk driver. All he knew was his family was sitting there, and he knew that at least two of them were dead, if not three. And he was laying there in his car, and he said the thought came to him, God gave him a thought that no matter what, I've got to let the anger go. And he did. And his response was to let the desire to be angry to go. And then he took it a step further and he forgave the young man. It was crazy as I saw this interview and, and sitting next to him in the interview was that young man. who's now in his late 20s. And they've developed a relationship. This young man ended up doing jail time. And, and he's out now because he was under the age of 21 and And they've developed a relationship and they've become close through this. You ask, how can I forgive? How could I do that? In this interview, Chris Williams said this, how can I forgive after all that Jesus has forgiven me of? How could I not forgive? The truth is, the Bible is, in this passage, when it says, forgive one another as God forgave you, if you are here today and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, then this passage is speaking to you. And you say, well, you don't know what what someone's done to me. You don't know how much they hurt me. I may not. I have not felt your pain. I felt my own. But I haven't felt your pain. And I don't know exactly what it is that you are having to forgive But the Bible says that you should forgive. It's interesting. uh, If you look at the passage again, it says, as God in Christ forgave you, the phrase there, uh, it means to the same degree as. So to the same degree that God forgave you, you are also to forgive others. 
Remember what that means. Just how God forgave, you were to forgive. Remember the things we said? God forgave us graciously. God forgave us freely. God forgave us deeply. God forgave us repeatedly. And that's exactly how you are to forgive others. You are to forgive them graciously. That is, you are to forgive them even when they don't deserve it. You ever said that about someone? Someone did something wrong and you're like, I can't forgive them. They don't deserve it. You're right. They don't. And yet the Bible says we are to forgive. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. We're to forgive them freely. That is, you are not to ask them to pay. Oh man, we do that all the time, don't we? Yeah, I will forgive you, but you have to understand what that means. And that means that I am going to be angry with you. Yeah, I forgive you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you pay. I'm going to make you feel bad. You are to forgive them as freely as God forgives you. You are to forgive them deeply. That is, it doesn't matter what they did to you. It doesn't matter how bad it was that they did to you. God forgave you in the same way you will forgive no matter what it was that they did. You are to forgive repeatedly. That is, no matter how many times they did it or continue to do it, you are to forgive them as often as God forgave you, which was every single time. It doesn't matter what the circumstance was, what the sin was, how deeply you were hurt, or how many times it happened. God forgave you. And you are to forgive others. That's difficult. Uh, I was recently reminded of the story of Louis Sam, uh, Samperini. Some of you maybe have heard of him. Uh, there was a movie made uh, about his life um, called Unbreakable, I think was the name of it. Um, but anyway, he was, a, he was an American Olympian, and then he went uh, into the service, and he fought during World War II, and, and his plane was shot down, and, and so they were at sea for a number of days, and finally they were, they were rescued by a Japanese warship, not the best thing to be rescued by. And so they were taken into, uh, into a prison camp, and there they were, he was tortured. Luis Ambrini was tortured, and he was abused. There was one particular guard, the first time he saw him, he hit him in the face because he didn't look at him in the eye. So the next time this guard came by, Luis Ambrini looked him in the eye and he got hit in the face for looking him in the eye. It was said that this guard sometimes would take off his belt and he had a huge metal buckle and he would beat Zamberini until he was unconscious. And then when the war ended, Zamberini and the other American captives were freed. And the movie uh, portrays up to that point, but after the movie, the story of his life goes on and says he came home and, and he wasn't really free. He had nightmares all the time about his captors, and he had such hatred for those guards, especially the one they called the bird, who, would, who beat him so often that he dreamed about killing him. In fact, he planned that one day he would go back to Japan and he would find that guard and he was going to personally kill him. And this hatred was building up in his life so much that he began, his life began to spiral out of control. He began drinking himself so much that he became a full-fledged alcoholic, but he was drinking so that he could mask the pain that was in his life and the anger and the hurt. His wife told, them that, told him that she was filing for divorce. But as a last-ditch effort to try to reconcile something, she invited him to a Billy Graham evangelistic service. And he went and he got saved. I mean, really got saved. 
His life changed in so many ways. It said he never again experienced those flashbacks and those dreams and became a devoted Christian and began living in a way that pleased God. And he began serving in so many ways and, uh, and, and, and working with youth who were troubled like him. Perhaps the greatest sign that he became a true Christian was that his heart towards those Japanese individuals changed. And some months after he was saved, he did travel back to Japan, not to kill his former captors, but to forgive them. And he went and he talked to them individually. And he told them he forgave them and he loved them and he shared with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. From a human perspective, from a human viewpoint, if anyone might say, you don't understand what they did to me, I will never forgive them, it would be someone like Louis Sambrini. But when Jesus saved him, when Jesus forgave him, his heart was changed and he forgave those who sinned against him just as God forgave him. And that is exactly what God wants you to do. Whatever person may come to your mind, whatever person at the very beginning, I said, think of that person in your mind, whoever that person is, whatever they did to you, no matter how hurtful, no matter how deep, no matter how often, forgive just as God forgave you. I want you to notice just quickly, we're not going to develop it, but at the beginning of verse 32 it says, Be kind to one another, hard, to one another tender-hearted. I believe that those two aspects are a, is a demonstration of forgiveness. Because I think oftentimes what happens is we'll say this, yes, I forgive the person, but I don't have anything to do with them ever again. I don't want to see their face. Yeah, I forgive them, sure. But I think what Paul is saying in this passage is if we really understand forgiveness, if we really understand what Jesus Christ did, then it's not going to be just a forgive and, and then ignore the person. It's going to be a forgiveness that results in kindness and compassion. That leads to the third aspect of forgiveness we're going to look at this morning is the demonstration of forgiveness. Again, look at the passage. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I'm going to look at that last phrase again from a different angle. Your ability to obey this command to forgive demonstrates two very important things about you. First of all, your ability... To obey this command to forgive demonstrates the genuineness of your salvation. It demonstrates the genuineness of your salvation. Earlier I talked about the passage where in Matthew chapter 18 where, where Jesus is talking and Peter is asking about forgiving others. And Jesus then begins to tell them a parable. And it's the parable of the two debtors. And I want to read it to you. I'm going to put it on the screen here. But I want to read it to you. And he's talking about the idea of forgiveness. Look what he says there. You can't read that. It's in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. And he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and the payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. 
And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have mercy with me and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and you and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. In anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. Look at this passage, and I want you to understand that the point of this passage is not that if you don't forgive others, you will lose your salvation, because I believe Scripture says once you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. But it was obvious that the first slave had no appreciation of what his master had done in forgiving all the debt. And it shows us that if you do not forgive others, it demonstrates that you have not really understood that God forgave you. Because if you understood that, then you would readily forgive anyone who offended you. If you really understood, if you really grasped that, that God forgave you of all of your sins, then, then it, would be, it would be something that flew, flowed out of that to forgive others. The 10,000 talents that he referred to uh, of your sins have been forgiven. All of the sins that you have done, the massive amount. And I think we see from that, that 10,000 talents, that, uh, let's put it into our understanding, that, that, that million dollars worth of debts that you have, forgiven by God, graciously, freely, deeply, repeatedly. And if you understand that, you will not hesitate to forgive the $10 of sin that someone has against you. Sometimes we struggle with that. Let me ask you, do you readily forgive others? Is there no one in your life you are unwilling to forgive? Then you have every reason to believe that you yourself are forgiven and you can be confident of your salvation. But I want to caution you. If you do not forgive others, if there are one or more people that you just say, I refuse to forgive, And you need to question if you fully understand the forgiveness of God. Because if you truly realize how God has forgiven you, then you will readily forgive others. Just like no one would doubt Luis Samarini's salvation because of the way he forgave those other people. So there will be no reason to doubt your salvation. Because I believe forgiving others demonstrates the genuineness of your salvation. Secondly, forgiving others demonstrates your maturity in Christ. Look again at the passage. It says, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Our goal of Christian, as Christians is to become like God. Our goal as Christians is to be more like who God is. We see this earlier in the chapter. If you look back at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I want, I want to show you something. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers... Why did he give those individuals to equip the saints for the work of the ministry? Uh, and he did not give those individuals to do the work of the ministry. 
It is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Then notice what he says, why? To build up the body of Christ. And then uh, what's the reason for that? Until we all attain unto the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is he saying in that passage? He says that as a church, our goal is to continue to grow. Why? So that we become united in the faith, so we have a greater knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, so we become mature in our in our relationship with God. And then... What does he say at the end there? So that we become to the fullness, the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, our goal is to become like Christ. Our goal is not to build bigger buildings as a church or to get more money or to uh, do any other thing like that. Our goal, our main goal is to become like Christ. That is why we're here as a church. That is why I do what I do as a pastor, is to help to encourage that, that we become like Christ. And no area tests our Christ-likeness more than the challenge of forgiveness. Forgiveness is what Jesus was known for. It's the very thing he came to earth to do, was to die so that he could forgive you. And God says... You are to build yourself up to Christ's likeness. If you look in Acts chapter 7, uh, you don't need to turn there, but Acts chapter 7 is the story of Stephen. Who was Stephen? Stephen was the first deacon. And Stephen would go out and he would share the gospel. And, and, and one day he got taken and he brought, was brought in and he was stoned for sharing the gospel. As Stephen was being stoned, he, he, he said his last words were this, Lord, do not hold this sin to their account. In other words, he said, God, forgive them for what they are doing to me. Where did he get this? Did he just think this up on his own? No. You know where he got it. When Jesus was dying on the cross, what did he say? He cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen was being like Christ. He was being Christ-like and he was demonstrating forgiveness the greatest mark of maturity in your christian life is not how many times you go to church let's be honest some of the most immature christian people go to church all the time the greatest mark of maturity is not how much you read the bible there are some people who are are unsaved who have never placed their faith in jesus christ who read the bible on a regular basis The greatest mark of maturity is not how much money you put in the offering plate. Giving money is is a lot easier, honestly, than what we're talking about. One of the greatest marks of maturity is our ability to forgive. It demonstrates how much that you realize you have been forgiven by the grace of God. This verse that we looked at today, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, should, should cause every one of us to come to a point of prayerful evaluation of ourselves. If forgiveness is one of the biggest signs of, of our genuine faith, if forgiveness is one of the biggest signs of our, of our, our growing in Christ-likeness, then what does it say about the way that you are or are not forgiving? If forgiveness is a great mark of Christ-like maturity, what does it say about you as a Christian in the way that you forgive? Have you forgiven? Is there anyone that you have not forgiven or someone who you are not willing to forgive? 
Everyone who reads the story of Stephen and looks at him instantly sees how much he was like Christ because he was willing to forgive. What about you? I am not trying to downplay the amount that you were hurt. But I am trying to express to you that the gospel of Jesus Christ says this, that God forgave you even though you hurt the very essence of who God is with your sin. And then God in turn says, forgive just as I forgave you. Let me ask you this question with, as we close. Is that name or those series of names, can you forgive them? Should you forgive them? The answer is to should is yes. Now, are you going to obey? Let's pray. God, we are grateful for all that you do for us. We are completely grateful for your forgiveness. God, you understand man. And you understand, God, that the the world tells us that when someone hurts us, we have the right to be angry. We have the right to, to hate them. We have the right to want to see them hurt. God, that's what we see all around us. We see it displayed all the time. And yet, and yet, your word tells us to forgive Lord, we understand that forgiveness does not mean that the hurt doesn't go away. We understand that that forgiveness does not take away the pain of what took place. Yet we have a responsibility to forgive. Lord, I pray that you will help each person in here. Lord, that you will lay someone on their heart that maybe they are having a hard time forgiving and you will help them to have courage to do what is necessary to forgive them. Lord, and I pray that the gospel will continue to impact us each and every day. Lord, as things come up in our lives and as people continue to hurt us, Lord, I pray that you help us as you forgive us repeatedly. I pray that you will help us to forgive others repeatedly. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.